From Relay FM, this is Analog, episode number 51. Today's show is brought to you by Lynda.com, the Fireside Conference, and Red Hat. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined, as always, by Mr. Casey Liss. What up, Rocket Man? <laughs> you know, uh, you've already screwed up this episode because this isn't an episode of Analog. This is an episode of Mike at the Movies. Yay! Uh, No, I'm just giving you a hard time. But this is really an episode of Mike at the Movies. Um, What is happening is we are recording this on um, Tuesday, July 21st. And it's not going to be released until August 2nd. Is that right? Something like that. Wow, that's a long way yeah, away. Yeah, it's a long way away. And the reason we're doing this... Yeah, it is. That's a long, that's a long way away. It's like nearly two weeks from yeah, today. It's crazy. I am it, not comfortable with this. I know. Uh, the reason we're doing this is because um, I am going out of town next week, the week um, beginning somewhere around the 26th, 27th, something like that. And I won't be able to record next week. And so Mike and I knew we needed to bank an episode. And we figured, well, what better way to bank an episode than to drag Mike through another episode of Mike at the Movies? And uh, as we established at the at, on the prior episode of Mike at the Movies, um, Sneakers was the immediate prior episode. Is that right? Or did you do a, an upgrade one in between then and now? I think it was Sneakers. It doesn't matter. Well, well the prior Mike at the Movies analog edition was with Sneakers, and and I think it's safe to say, Mike, that you thought Sneakers was okay. Is that reasonable? Yeah, it was the first Mike at the Movies in any installment that I didn't love. Thanks for that. <laughs> uh, and, and it's I, okay, Mike. It's okay. I mean, I only as well liked parts of sneakers all I right i got it you don't really have to rub it in like it that much marty marty, marty. <laughs> i know uh, that it upsets people that i didn't like that movie i don't think aside from you anyone more than dan morton uh but people you know i did sorry guys and girls i just didn't didn't like it very much where are you going on holiday by the way uh going to the beach so um Generally speaking, if you are living on the East Coast of America and you have a summer trip, um, oftentimes that involves going renting a house and going to the beach. Um, and so it depends on where you live, which beach you go to. And if you live in Central Virginia, generally that, that means either Virginia Beach or the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Um, the uh, North Carolina is immediately south of us, Mike. Um, and I do know that you know where Virginia is, thanks to... Thanks to Upgrade, um, I saw the map that you completed, and you did know where Virginia is. You just didn't know how to spell it. Yep. <laughs> well, I mean, it's you know, it's the usual. I know how to spell all the words that I misspell. I just don't pay enough attention and spell them wrong. Yep. Anyway, so uh, we're going to we're going to the Outer Banks of North Carolina is uh, the moral of the story. So we'll be at the beach for a week, first time with the BB. Uh, so that we'll see how that goes. Uh, he inherited Aaron's very pale skin, so that should be. Have a you little... ever referred to him before as the BB? Uh, we, I, we say that to each other all the time, Aaron and I. Uh, okay, but I don't know that I've done it publicly. No. No. <laughs> Do you wish you never had? <laughs> no, no. It's our little nickname. Okay. I'm cool. I'm comfortable with. Uh, I'm comfortable with myself. <laughs> anyway, so uh, it's Aaron and me and the BB, <laughs> and we'll uh, see how that goes. <laughs> but um, but we're here not to talk about my vacation slash holiday. We are here to talk about the 1991 Disney film, The Rocketeer. We are indeed. So so uh, how do you want to? I begin? would like. I would like to do two things. To okay. Begin. I would like to first tell you, um, my thoughts 
of what my my initial impression is what I thought this movie was going to be. I would very much like that because I I always like to do that. Like of the movies where I feel like I know something about them to share what it is that I know, and then something that I usually leave to the end I will do at the beginning, which is what I thought of this movie overall, what my overall opinion was. Because mm-hmm. I need to put you out your misery like early. <laughs> need to put you out your misery. So. It's so funny to me now, having seen this movie, and everyone who's listening to this should have seen this movie by now, what I thought The Rocketeer was. Oh, God, okay. I thought The Rocketeer was three things. I thought The Rocketeer was a superhero with a jetpack. That's mostly reasonable. I thought The Rocketeer was... A space movie set in the future. Oh my, things are taking a turn. <laughs> I also thought The Rocketeer was going to be a little bit dark. Yes, so one out of three, <laughs> one out of three ain't bad, I guess, maybe. And possibly. I know the helmet, I know the overall look of The Rocketeer, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew that. So they were all kind of wrong, because The Rocketeer is not a superhero. Not like, really. He is not a superhero. He isn't. He has no powers. He just is a man who can kind of only sort of fly a jetpack. <laughs> that is accurate. I like this movie. Yes, yes. I, I like it. I liked it a lot. It was. It was a very fun movie. I enjoyed watching it. Good. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. But um, I did just want to say up front that I did like this movie. All right. I feel much better. I. I, I can. I, I can uh, step off the ledge. I'm excited. Things things are good in my world again. This, this is good news. And I can't remember all of the movies I've done. I didn't love it as much as I loved Say Anything. That's fine. Because that movie is just like actual magic. But I know that I liked it more than I've liked some other upgrade uh, Mike of the movies. So. Oh, that, that makes me feel super awesome. I am, I am ready. This is good for me. You know, we can just stop the episode now. We're good. But this movie is not without its faults. It's, when I took a critical eye to it, when I watched it two nights ago, I realized that as much as I deeply, deeply love this movie, in a lot of ways, I don't have that much to say about it, actually. It's, it, it's, in ver- it's very much a just kind of turn your brain off and enjoy it kind of movie, which isn't a bad thing. But it's not the sort of thing where you can really dig in deep and, and well, I don't feel like sitting here now It's not, it, that it's the sort of thing that you can really dig in deep and critically analyze it. Remind me of that when we realize that this episode lasts three and a half hours, but um, we'll see what happens. I don't know. You said you have quite a bit of notes. I have a little bit of notes, so um, I don't know how you'd like to proceed if you want to go chronologically or just jump around, but let's dive in. Well, whilst, I mean, there's a couple of things. Well, there's, there's one thing about the faults of the movie that I wanted to mention here because I'll probably, well, I might forget it otherwise, which is I have two main problems with the movie. One of them I will address later when it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, my other point that I don't like about this movie is it drags a bit in the middle. Okay. There's just a period of time in the middle of the movie where it just, it, it, it drags its heels a little bit. Um, but there are so many movies that I see where I feel that way about them, uh, including recently. <laughs> this is so bad. I don't know why I'm saying this. I really don't know why I'm saying this. Star Wars? <laughs> really? The, the original Star Wars? Like, 
there is a there is like a big chunk at the middle of that movie that is like it doesn't need to. They basically even need there's parts of the middle or the end. Like Star Wars: A New Hope is too long, in my opinion. God, so many people hate me right now. I don't even know why I'm doing this. Yeah, so many people hate you. A New Hope is too long. There is too much happening in A New Hope. I don't know. I uh, I haven't seen. Any I have of- spoken to other people about this who I will not name, but I've had people agree with me about this. Interesting. I have not seen any of the Star Wars films, the original trilogy, the prequels. I haven't seen any of them in years. And actually, um, at after listening to Hello Internet, um, I have acquired copies of the uh, what is it Harmy releases. Um, so just in case we get rained in at the beach. We'll have something to do, and I figure we'll watch the original trilogy, the uh, the Harmy releases or whatever they're called, um, and we'll just spend the day watching those. And in a little way, I'm almost anxious for a little bit of rain so we're able to rewatch them. Um, but we'll see what happens. But we're not here to talk about Star Wars nor make the entire internet hate Mike Hurley. No, I'm I'm interested to hear what you think once you watch A New Hope again, because I didn't know this until I watched it again most recently. And you know, this was the most recent time I watched it was in a room with the man who was inside of Darth Vader's costume. Oh, that's costume. right. That's right. So if you and and then I was like, it, it had been a long day, but I was quite. I was there was just a part of it in the middle. I was like, oh, this happens in this movie as well. Like I thought this was an empire. Oh man, how long is this going on for? That was <laughs> a, a thought that I had. Um. So there you go. All right, so it's probably a good time to take a break here. We'll take a moment to thank Lender.com, and then we will start talking about The Rocketeer. This week's episode of Analog is brought to you by Lender.com, the online online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. You can get yourself a free 10-day trial by visiting Lender.com slash analog. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash analog lynda.com is for problem solvers it's for people that are curious or who want to make things happen maybe you're looking to master excel learn negotiation tactics build a website boost your photoshop skills learn how to develop android apps or iphone apps maybe you want to learn how to build responsive single page web pages and learn that all of the design function that needs to go into doing something like that maybe you want to learn a little bit about how to localize your apps this is the type of amazing stuff that lynda.com can teach you just to name just a few things just just you know they are just a few things that you can learn when you get a lynda.com membership and when you do sign up or at least you should be signing up for the 10-day trial which i'm going to tell you about again in a moment you can watch and learn these courses from top experts who are super passionate about teaching you can stream thousands of videos on demand you can learn at your own schedule at your own pace you can because all their courses they're broken down into bite-sized pieces you can watch them start to finish or you can consume them in just chunks and you can watch them wherever you want as well because they have apps for ios and android as well you can create and save playlists of the courses that you want to watch and customize your own learning path which you can share with other people and you can also browse each course's transcript to help you follow along with what's happening or to search for an answer and skip to that point in the video later Yolanda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, go ahead and visit lynda.com slash analog, that's L-Y-N-D-A.com slash analog, and sign up for your free 10-day trial. Thank you so much to lynda.com for supporting this show and Relay FM. All right, so Rocketeer. 
You want to start at the beginning? Okay. So, um, it kind of starts off, and you you might have to help me place some of my notes as to where they are in the movie, as you did so good with sneakers as well, making okay. me jump back and forward. But uh, kind of it starts off with there is like a, a plane. You're already going too far. I have notes before this. Oh, my word. Go on, then. Uh, this, this is not an indication of things to come, but I do actually have notes at the very beginning. Um, one of the things I love about this movie, and gosh, I don't remember the director's name offhand. Um, I will stall for time and talk about other things while I look it up. But, um, but one of the things I loved about this movie is the transitions between scenes. And as silly as it sounds, I loved um, the way that the title card was shown and then kind of... So they show the Rocketeer on screen and then they pull apart the the words because they're actually pulling open the hangar that the airplane is in. Do you remember what I'm talking about? It doesn't matter. If yeah, you know. it's fine. Uh, but it was directed by Joe Johnson and um, he ended up doing uh, Captain America, I believe, among other things. And even just that transition and there are others throughout the movie. I just thought it was so clever and so neat. But to your point, they're bringing out this yellow propeller airplane that's clearly out of like the 30s. And that's all we know so far. So then basically, you know, you've got uh, a, an older gentleman, mm-hmm. PV, mm-hmm. who is played by... Uh, Alan Arkin? Yes, who I love. Mm-hmm. I love never I never really was familiar with his work, and I don't mean that in a ha-ha way. Um, but this is the first movie I can remember ever having seen him in. And, um, and have you seen does... the Oceans movies? I know they're more recent, but you may have seen those. Oceans 11? Yeah. Like, that, that's not Alan Arkin. What is he in that? He plays one of the, the older guys in the Oceans movies. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. Let's yes, figure this out. Stalling for time. Going to IMDb. Not true. You're thinking of, oh God, what is his name? I know who you're thinking of. Uh, God damn it. <laughs> Oceans. Oh, God, I can't think of his name, though. That's driving me nuts. Uh, the Reiner. Reiner. Something Reiner. Uh, that doesn't matter. Well, anyway, but similarly excellent actor, though. Hmm. Weird to me. Carl Reiner? Is that right? Yes, Carl Reiner. Okay. Anyway, so, uh, so yeah, so PV's excellent. Uh, he was in... Uh, 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 shoot, Alan Arkin was in um, what was that movie with the school bus or whatever it is? Uh, Little Miss Sunshine with the VW bus. That's what I'm thinking I've, of. I haven't seen that. I remember liking it, but not liking it as much as everyone else did. God, we are talking about every movie except The Rocketeer. <laughs> Immediately, uh, there's this there's this moment that happens where I'm like, this is foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. So Cliff, who is the star of the movie. Uh, played by yeah, played by Billy Campbell. Um, there is a thing on the IMDb that I don't understand with the way that it it says it's like Billy Campbell Cliff as Bill Campbell, which I don't understand what they mean by that because his name is not Bill Campbell. I think what they're saying is he was credited as Bill Campbell despite his name actually being Billy Campbell. Oh, okay, fine, that makes sense then. Because I was, I was like the whole time, I was like, but his name isn't Bill Campbell. I was very confused, but yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense now. Um, so Cliff takes some gum out of his mouth and sticks it onto the plane, like onto. I think some somewhere on the plane he sticks it. I think it might be the tail fin. Yeah, the very very back of the plane. I forget the technical term for it. 
And then PV takes it off, and I'm like, that feels like a bad omen. Well, right, because uh, Cliff says, PV says to Cliff, you know, what, this brand new paint, what are you doing? And Cliff says, what do you want me to do, crash? And so he eventually gets strapped into the plane. They put the little canopy on. Um, he starts taxiing to the other end of the runway. And because this is a propeller plane, you know, PV just walks up to the back of it, rips the gum off, and throws it on the ground. So then uh, there is the more of the opening uh, credits as Cliff is flying around. And then we cut to a mob car being chased by a police car. And there's a shootout. Yes. And, you know, I wanted to note that I've seen this movie a bazillion times. And so none of this is surprising to me. But I was trying to watch it, trying to imagine what it's like to be you and not having seen it before. And man, a lot of stuff does not get explained very clearly up front, which is okay. That's not a bad thing. But it's like, we went from Cliff flying a plane to some mob shootout. What is going on here? Why is this happening? Why is this relevant? And obviously, it becomes relevant quickly. But I wouldn't have been surprised if you were extremely confused and a little turned off by it. No, I mean, that was just kind of like the setup story. It was like, you know, I know nothing now. So like anything you're giving me is all of it's new information. Mm hmm. So. Um, I would like to also say that the cars in this movie, I don't, I couldn't name what cars, what, but God, the period cars and airplanes. I mean, I would, I would be gushing about the airplanes if I was more of an airplane nerd, but the cars are just so pretty and so amazing in this movie. In fact, all of the sets and, and, and yeah. props and whatnot are so great. All of, all of the sets, the props, everything are fantastic. It all, like, ev- all of it is convincing. None of it looks weird. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is, is extremely exaggerated, but that's kind of great. You know, yep. there are some of the sets, like later on, there's a nightclub mm-hmm. and there's like the, the singer who is a lady who I've known from like a, a another show. Oh, she plays, uh, She's the like from corporate in the office. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So, do you know who I mean in the office? Who's I've never Michael's seen Boss. I've never seen the office. Ah. Neither the British nor the American ones. Jan. She plays Jan in the office. Anyway, um, she she's like a, the singer in this nightclub, and she comes out of this huge pearl, and it's it's a really lovely set. Um, but anyway, we'll get to that a bit later on. But uh, why, as this this mob car is driving along, something that I didn't really understand is why does Cliff decide to fly so low? <laughs> you know, it's funny you ask that because I was wondering the same exact thing. So what happens is Cliff is flying around in this really pretty plane, and it's apparently brand new since they just said that the paint was brand new. And he sees this car chase going through like a field and decides to go down to like 100 feet off the ground and buzz these cars as there's a car chase with firearms. And because mobsters got a mob, uh, they decide to shoot the plane that Cliff is flying in. <laughs> Why do they do that? <laughs> I don't know. But the but the thing that bothered me was they show the ex- what appears to be the exhaust, the engine's exhaust getting shot. And then suddenly Cliff is not able to move the stick around like the hydraulics or cabling or whatever that are in the plane somehow go through the exhaust. I don't know anything what, about what a plane. I like is that then it, and then in a few minutes later, like oil just decides to explode. And no, he's like thrown across the, the hood of the plane. Yeah. Yeah. Like just totally, totally unrelated to the, to the damage that it, 
that it fell up that fell upon the plane but whatever so anyway so cliff gets shot and now the plane has got problems and meanwhile yeah. the cart the 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 mobster is is running away from what appears to be police officers um and things are going bad for everyone right now yeah and then the mobster kind of like crashes so this is this is where something happens which doesn't make sense for such a long time in the movie um so they crash and uh, there's like this. They, the, the mobsters have got this box, right, which we later find out is carrying the jetpack. Um, but they crash into this barn, and the guy's trying to get out, and he sees something. They get cut to something that's sitting on the side, and it looks like a jetpack, but mm-hmm. it turns out mm-hmm. later on to be a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> yeah. Um, which the police, like, but like they don't really make a point of it. He just looks over at this countertop, and that this vacuum cleaner is on there, amongst other things. Uh, and but it doesn't explain for so long into the movie, like yep. how the guy got away, where the jetpack is, like mm-hmm. why it, it doesn't explain this part. And I found that until much later on in the movie, till I really understood what had happened in this point. Right. But yeah, so. The FBI pick up the the jetpack after a little altercation with Cliff, where Cliff punches one of the FBI agents in the face, and the other <laughs> FBI agents like, "No, nah, man, you shouldn't have been. You, you know, let him off because you were mean to him." It's like, no, yep, no, that's not what happens. It's funny. I'm glad you brought that up because I wrote verbatim in my notes back then you could punch a Fed. Like, like apparently that was a thing that was okay to do. Now, granted, this FBI agent was being a total jerk, but... But that doesn't matter. Nope, it does not matter. So anyway, so what had happened was, you know, eventually Cliff has to crash land the plane back on the runway. He happens to, because it's a movie, clip the car that the bad guy is trying to drive away from the hangar in. Which is why he then crashes. Right, which is why Cliff crashes. The plane is now destroyed. We we kind of can piece together that this was the plane that they were going to race in some national competition, and and so this is not a good day for Cliff. Me and then we cut forward to or we you know fast forward a little bit and the guy who owns the airport runway whatever um God what was his name Bigelow is now saying to Cliff and Peavy well the bad guy drove into a, a tanker full of gasoline. The plane is destroyed, so you've got to, you owe me a crap load of money. And then um, we cut to the FBI guys arriving at this air hangar where they take the jetpack back to this individual who's like, I never should have started this project for you. You know, like, I'm done. I don't work for the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we find out it's Howard Hughes. Mm-hmm. I don't. A hundred percent know why they chose Howard Hughes. Like it could have just been someone who wasn't real. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I didn't really understand that. I like that it's Howard Hughes. I was like, I wrote in my notes, plot twist, Howard Hughes. <laughs> Uh, and I liked that it was him, but it was like, it's weird. Just, it was just strange, like just a strange choice yeah. to make. But it was a choice they made, and I, it's kind of cool, but it was just, it's a very peculiar choice. But, I, you know, it's nice. And, and my my favorite part about this whole scene, though, is when he throws the, the like, the, the document wallet into the fire, and it shows the beautiful artwork 
like that that thirties period artwork mm. of what the future is going to look like. Yep, yep, yep. Um, that great like Art Deco style. I love that kind of design mm-hmm. uh and and i just really like the way that that looked yeah and i also wanted to point out that terry o'quinn who played howard hughes i thought he just did a phenomenal job like uh, not that it was a that deep of a part but god i believed through and through that he was howard hughes and um and, and i loved him in it and as someone who um did not care for the aviator which i know is contentious i hope merlin doesn't listen to this program because i know he'll be very disappointed in me but um, but I thought the Aviator wasn't really kind of terrible, um, and so it's good to see Howard Hughes painted in a less terrible light. But that's okay. Um, so actually, I got my chronology wrong. It was after this that that Bigelow is given PV and Cliff the hard time, and he tells Cliff and and uh, PV that he's gonna have that they're gonna have to bring back the Clown Act, and they're not entirely clear on what that means. But Cliff and PV are not excited about it, and this comes to play later. Um, but then Cliff goes to get in the, into the plane that apparently is part of the clown act and he sits on something really hard and he pulls out a duffel bag and sure enough, there's this random weird looking thing in it. So did you know exactly what this was the moment you saw it? Well, what the, the rock, the jetpack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I knew he had a jetpack. Oh, that's fair. I mean, I, I'm not surprised by that. I was just curious because it's been so long since I've seen it for the first time. So I didn't know if I couldn't remember if I had put it together like that or not. Yeah. Cause I had assumed that the mob mobsters had the jetpack, mm-hmm. right? Like, like that was when, when we saw them with a box in the car, I was like, oh, the jetpack's in there. Yep. Yep. You know, even though we don't know anything else up to this point, but you know. Did you like? Um, did you were, did you think the jetpack looked cool, interesting, reasonable for a jetpack? What did you think of it, just visually? I thought it looked cool. It looked very much like what someone of the thirties would have imagined a jetpack would look like, which made it work really, really well. Mm-hmm. Because it looked like it looked like that kind of huh, Star Wars idea of you know <laughs> the way that things are in the future but old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm completely with you. Um, I took a note that um, the rocket pack is so stunning. And especially, you have to remember that the first time I saw this, what, I was like 10 years old or something like that. And and so a part of me is still 10 years old when I watch this movie. And, oh, my God, the jetpack, I just eat that up. Like, it looks perfect. I cannot think of a thing that I would change about it. Like we said before, the props in this movie are just so good and I and I love the jetpack through and through. I just think it looks so amazing. Um and then the best moment in this whole movie happens when we cut to James Bond and Paulie from Goodfellas. <laughs> Wait, is, is Paulie from Goodfellas? I don't remember that. Yeah, Paul Solvino oh, is Paulie from okay, Goodfellas. Okay, I'm with you. Yep. Yeah, and I I was curious to see how you would react to one of your countrymen being in this ep- <sighs> being in this movie. I was so excited. Genuinely, I was so excited. Yeah, to see them, to see both of those guys. I loved. I love their other roles. And Timothy Dalton is probably my second favorite James Bond. Mm-hmm. I love Dalton's Bonds, and if people are hearing this and they think I'm crazy and they haven't seen Dalton's two Bond movies in the last five years or so, go watch them because those movies didn't work in the 80s. They work now, in my opinion. 
Dalton was ahead of his time. He was making a really gritty and realistic James Bond that I don't think the audiences of the 80s were ready for. I really like Timothy Dalton. This is the first movie I ever saw him in, and one of the few that I've seen him in, actually. I have seen his Bonds because of the Gruber and and, uh, Dan Benjamin uh, Bond series that happened years ago now. Um, I wanted to also point out that although I can't think of an acting job that was bad in this movie, I thought that Paul Sorvino and Timothy Dalton, again, just did a phenomenal job. I loved both of them in their roles. I thought they were great. Yeah, they were both perfect for their roles in a way that everybody else in the movie is great, but not necessarily perfect. They are both perfect. I agree. Um, And so they're talking about apparently acquiring this rocket pack. And we're not really clear. And what struck me about this was upon thinking about what it would be like for you. We're not really clear who Timothy Dalton is. It's apparent that he lives in some sort of palace. It's apparent that he's bossing around mobsters. But we don't know who he is. Is he like the godfather so to speak is he some sort of like rich industrialist and we don't realize who he is until the end of or maybe not even yet actually well i know he's a movie star because i have a note which is what does a movie star need a rocket for <laughs> that's what i have a note yeah, i guess at the end of the scene they they, they mentioned oh yeah because i think paul servino says something about that he's like why do you need a rocket for anyway yeah uh, but yeah, yeah. I, so yeah, he does. He says, "What do you need a rocket for anyway?" Because I was like, "Yes, what does a, a movie star need a rocket for?" Uh, so yeah, I that that's all that. Like you know, and it's interesting, and I like the whole scene. I love that uh, Timothy Dalton, Neville Sinclair. I love that his apartment is crazy looking. Mm-hmm. Like it's just really weird looking. Like yep. it's another great part of the set design. So it doesn't really make any sense. It kind of looks like it's meant to look like it's from ancient Egypt. Like yep, you know, I thought I the don't same really thing. get it. Yep, yep, yep. But that kind of works for me because he's just like some eccentric movie star. Yep. Um and it is weird that he's got the mob working for him and he calls someone, you know, in like Inspector Gadget style, right? We just see the back of a chair and a hand. Right, hold uh, on. Wait, wait, a couple of quick notes on that. Let me finish the scene, then we should talk about someone that's awesome. Um, I, I wanted to point out, and I took a note on this, Timothy Dalton's laugh is perfect. Like, it's the quietly sinister, not over-the-top Austin Powers laugh. It's like the quietly sinister laugh. If you if you don't know what I'm talking about, you, Mike, or you, whoever's listening, you should go back and just listen to his laugh. It is, like, flawless. I don't know. I just oh, loved yeah. it. Dalton plays a fantastic villain. Mm-hmm. Like, you should see, if you haven't, see Hot Fuzz. He the, plays a the villain in that. I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah, you should see that. It's a great movie. And Dalton is a fantastic villain. Maybe we should do Casey at the cinema, and uh, I'll, I'll watch one of your flicks. But um, yeah, that's a good idea. But anyway, so yeah, so I just wanted to take note of that his laugh is just the best. And then I do have a quick thought about the scene you're talking about. But before we do that, let's talk about somebody that's awesome. Okay, this week's episode of Analog is brought to you by the Fireside Conference, a retreat bringing together the best and brightest tech and entrepreneurial minds in our community. Fireside is gathering a vibrant group for a -a one-of-a-kind retreat outside of Bancroft, Ontario, to engage with one another away from the congestion of the city. They have some amazing speakers and partners lined up with more to be announced shortly. You'll get to learn through keynote presentations and interactive sessions, taking advantage of the beautiful scenery that will surround you. They've also arranged a host of social events and real campfireside chats. You can forget the typical conference stage. This is a super immersive and productive conversation 
conversation that will be happening around an actual campfire whilst roasting some tasty marshmallows. The conference venue is named Walden and stretches out over 750 acres, offering a postcard view of the beauty of Canadian summers. With two private lakes, ample meeting spaces, courts and arts facilities, it's truly one of the most unique, picturesque venues that any conference could be founded upon. And venue facilities include a gorgeous waterfront with swimming, water skiing, wakeboarding, canoe and kayaking, sailing, land sports, high and low ropes courses, archery and volleyball, and these are all open to attendees of the conference. It's much more than a conference itself. Fireside conference is taking place between the 11th and 13th of September 2015. It's a great conference to bring a team. They have branded team cabins that are great for building, learning and bonding. And individual attendees will be provided with an opportunity to form friendships and learn together with others as they share fantastic cabin accommodation. And before I forget, the whole weekend is all you can eat and all you can drink. Visit firesideconference.com and use the coupon code ANALOG for $100 off, which is an exclusive offer for Relay FM listeners. But that's not all. Fireside Conference are giving away two tickets to listeners of this very show. Just tweet thanks at FiresideConf for supporting at underscore Relay FM, and they will choose at random with attendance based on an answering a skill testing question. The contest closes at 12pm Eastern Time, August 17th. No purchase necessary, but if you do purchase and win, they will refund your purchase. Thank you so much to Fireside Comp for supporting this episode. So as you were starting to say, Mike, we cut to uh, Neville Sinclair, uh, Timothy Dalton, calling somebody. And all we see is this individual's back. And when we cut to them answering the phone, they're listening to opera. Their little pinky is kind of dancing around with, or maybe not opera, but it sounds like opera to me. Um, and then they pan over and they see, and you see that this individual has like these perfectly cut little squares of sandwich and you don't know who this person is, but it just cracks me up how orderly and calm this individual is because we later find out that this is Luthor who is like Timothy Dalton's thug that he calls when, uh, Eddie Valentine, Paul Servino isn't really cutting the mustard for him. Oh, is that who it was? I thought until just then thought he was calling a boss. No, no, no. He was calling Luthor, I believe. I'm almost sure of it. Okay. Does that make you feel a little better? No, it just, just helps. <laughs> Explain that. So then um, we meet Jenny. Well, well, first uh, Cliff and Cliff and uh, PV decide to test out the rocket by strapping it to a uh, oh, dummy. Oh, yeah. Which was, just, I mean, it's not a particularly consequential scene. It's but not it's, a dummy, actually. It's a statue. Uh, you're they right. Cut you're right. The base of a statue, don't they? Yeah, you're right. But it's a good scene to show the power of the rocket, and they have some good things where the rocket like flies up into the air, and then like nearly knocks their heads off as it flies mm-hmm. by. Like, and you get an idea of the fact that the rocket is really difficult to control um, and stuff like that, and and that's a good way to kind of set up this idea of the fact that. It is an unknown element, it's dangerous, uh, and that they have worked out what it is but don't really know what to do with it yet. Yeah, the only thing that bothered me about the scene was eventually, of course, the rocket goes flying. Well, they like tie it to a stake or chain it to a stake. They put the stake in the ground. And eventually, um, eventually this rocket just goes flying off into the distance. Why not, when it's clear that the stake is coming undone, why not just turn it off? Like they turned it on from a dis, they turned it on from a distance. Why not turn it off from a distance? Yeah, that never made sense to me. But you know, nobody's perfect. It's all right. 
So anyway, so so yeah, so we have that scene, and then we're introduced to Jenny. And the uncomfortable bit of this movie was I was, like I said, maybe 10 or 11 years old when this movie came out, and the first time I see, I had seen it, uh, it, it came out when I was nine, but I don't think I saw it for a year or two after. Um, I had some uncomfortable feelings when watching this movie as a 10 or 11-year-old, because <laughs> I wasn't sure what I was looking at, but I knew it was weird. I had some uncomfortable feelings as a 27-year-old. <laughs> Boy. Wow. I mean, Jennifer Connelly is a beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know her now as a very beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. She's still around. She's still in movies now. Yeah, yeah. She's very beautiful. But <laughs> Jennifer Connelly in 1991. Oh, God. Yeah, it was... It was impre- it was a uh, it was an interesting thing to watch and um and I happen to think that she looks best here better than I had seen in any of the handful of other movies I've seen her in and I don't know I, it's not because she was younger I don't think I just think that she I, I feel like she just looks better like looks healthier here than she has in any other movie um and what struck me about this is as I was doing research for for this episode I was looking at the IMDb page looking at all the actors and actresses. And as I told Aaron on like three separate occasions, because it just blew my mind, she was 21 when she filmed this. Hmm. What were you doing when you were 21? Because I can tell you, I wasn't in a Disney movie. I wasn't in, I wasn't playing a starring role in a Disney movie. Like, unbelievable. Yep. But God, yeah, she is very pretty lady. Very, very uh- pretty lady. You've lost me to Google Images now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come back to you tomorrow. She's stunning, absolutely stunning. I think that it is that she, as well as just the fact that she is like young and beautiful, just the whole look, like the thirties look with like the dark red lipstick and the like the way that her hair is styled and the dresses that she wears, mm-hmm. um, it just all adds up to helping her look so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very well put. And basically, the only pictures and Google images are her in the white dress that she is in for about half the movie. <laughs> but they're like the only pictures there. Yeah, um, well, that happens. Um, she's just stunning. I mean, she, she's a very pretty woman today as well. I mean, not to take away from the way she looks today, but but God, she did look great in this movie. And again, as like a, uh, as a 10 or 11 year old, it, it led for some uncomfortable feelings that, that arguably is a, uh, how old am I? 33? As a 33 year old, I'm still coming to terms with, but that's all right. Yeah. Um, so, so they just, they're Well, debating. I have to say like, so we did say anything and I was introduced to the beauty of Ioni Sky and yeah, so this is this is a real uh, back-to-back uh, Hollywood actress beauty that I have bestowed upon me recently, so I appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, so Cliff and uh, Jenny, Jenny is Cliff's girlfriend, uh, they debate whether or wh- what movie to go see. Cliff is really upset at the idea that she wants to see a, um, a Neville Sinclair movie, and she kind of guilts him into seeing it or entices him into seeing it by saying it's some like airplane themed movie about going behind enemy lines or what have you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
And so we we see the movie theater and we see a news flash because from my understanding, that's kind of how people got their news back in the 30s is they would go to the movies or the radio, of course. They would go to the movies and they would see these like news flashes before the movie rolled. And there's and they're showing a news flash about this um, this Zeppelin dirigible, however you call it, um, that's heading to America from Germany. And you have to understand this is like the late 30s. And so Germany was an unknown quantity, but people had this gut feeling that bad things were happening. And so they kind of are hinting that that Germany is an issue here. But then they watch their movie and that's that. So any other thoughts? Well, on this? Cliff knows what he thinks. Oh, yeah. Cliff, do, you're right. Cliff does say something about like how Hitler wants to take over the world or something like that. So in the movie, they're saying, like in the movie, in the, in the newsreel, they're saying that this Zeppelin is for a mark of world peace. Um, and Cliff says, world peace? More like he wants a piece of the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. And actually, that reminds me, to go back just a quick second, um, when Cliff is going to pick Jenny up, he knocks on the door, and apparently there's a woman that like manages the house, like an older woman that manages the house that all these other women are, are living in. And so she answers the door, and she says something along the lines it's of... school. Is it a school? Is that what it is? That's what I took it as, that she is the the matron or the dorm mother mm -hmm. of the school. Oh, very well could be. I don't know. But anyway, regardless, um, he knocks on the door and she says something along the lines of, well, we don't take gentlemen callers after six in the evening or something. I forget exactly what the line is. And so without blinking an eye, Cliff says, well, I'm no gentleman, which I thought was funny. And uh, then as they're going to walk away, she says, remember, I lock up at 11 sharp. And so Cliff calls over his shoulder. Yes, warden. And uh, I just thought those kind of one-liners were really funny. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so they go watch the movie. Cliff is establishing that he doesn't really trust Hitler. And then we cut to the guy, the mobster that that was trying to get away with the jetpack. And in comes this just ox of a man, this like tower of a man, which is Lothar that we were um, kind of quietly introduced to earlier. And so Lothar is trying to uh, get some information out of this guy as to where the rocket is, presumably because Neville Sinclair sent him. So um, meanwhile, the guard and the nurse are listening to some comedy show on the radio, and Lothar starts kind of attacking this guy, trying to get information out of him. And I don't know if he kills him or not. That was never really made clear, was it? He must kill him because what you end up finding out later that it isn't clear at this point is he has folded him in half. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so this guy, the mobster, is like screaming bloody murder, but the, the nurse and the guard don't, don't hear it because they're listening to this radio program. And then the radio program ends and you still hear this like screaming and it's not laughing, it's screaming. And then they realize, oh, God, it's the mobster guy. And so they go trying to run in and eventually run in and realize that he's dead, but they don't find Lothar. So this uh, this is actually one of my first parts of the movie that I really don't like. Okay. Which is Lothar's face. <laughs> okay. And all of the problems that come with that. What do you mean? So, one, it doesn't even make any sense why they have to give him this like overly exaggerated, crazy-looking face. Mm -hmm. Like it looks like a mask. It looks like it's made of rubber because it is a rubber mask. Yeah, didn't they say something about this in the IMDb trivia? I could swear they did. Let me see if I can find it while you keep talking. Because it looks just so ridiculous. And then the other part of it is later on, um, they have to overdub 
him a little bit, like to put some vocal work in, and it looks atrocious because the face and the lips barely move <laughs> and there's a guy talking, and it clearly isn't the same guy, or if it is the same guy, it's like horribly dubbed in later, but it just looks terrible. Yeah, so uh, from Wikipedia, or excuse me, from IMDb's trivia, Tiny Ron, who was the actor that played him, uh, Tiny Ron's character Lothar is made up to look like Rondo Hatton, who played similar characters in the B-movies which inspired the Rocketeer. Ron can be seen out of makeup in a cameo as one of the two good old boys. He gapes at his compan- as his companion marvels at the, quote, big gopher, quote. So... Um, it's not whilst that's a reason it's not an excuse that's fair i mean the makeup was pretty rough it looks ridiculous yep and uh, as joe Steele's pointing out in the chat uh where's the rocket i think is probably where he was overdubbed that you were talking about and it's pretty rough you're absolutely yeah. right um cliff and jenny have a disaster date uh where they they get into a bit of an argument and then someone whose name I can't remember in the the diner where they're at, Malcolm, uh, kind of drops Cliff in it because Cliff didn't tell Jenny about how badly the landing went of the car. Right. And it's funny because... As a plane. I, yeah, yeah. I, I like to think I've gotten past the stage of my life when I try to pull this kind of crap with with the uh, loved one that I, that I happen to be with, but... I can see exactly what Cliff is going through. Like every guy has done this. Oh, I just won't tell her because it's not the right time, really. Because it'll I'm only scared. worry her. Yeah, it's yeah. really because I'm scared. But I'll, I'll use, I'll tell myself it's because it'll worry her and it's not a big deal and blah blah blah. And it ends up biting you in the butt, and then it just makes everything worse. Like everything that happens to Cliff, I can envision myself doing because I sometimes am an idiot. So uh, we go on a bit like uh, Cliff sees the mask for the helmet for the first time. He doesn't like it, um, but it was here mentioned, which I think was genius, which I didn't know. And then realized that obviously the, the reason that it points out like that is it's a rudder to help him steer when he's in mm-hmm. the air, which mm-hmm. is genius. Um, because they decide that they're going to, that, that Cliff will fly this as a way to make them money, basically. Right, right. That's something that they've decided before this point. And then there's this bit that I really like. So then it goes to, it cuts to, so uh, Jenny has told Cliff that she uh, went for this audition, which for a part that she ended up didn't getting, but she was going to be in this movie anyway. It's like a bit part. Um, and then it cuts to the movie set. Uh, and Neville pulls off a move that he does earlier in the movie. So right at the start of the movie, he puts a sword to uh, Paul Salvino, Eddie Valentine. And to show off his threatening nature in one move cuts uh, Eddie's flower off of his suit jacket mm-hmm. and it flies over to be caught in the hand by one of his mobster accomplices. And you're like, watching that at that point, you're like, oh, this guy's got some skills. He then does the same thing during a fight sequence of his yep. movie, yep. showing that he isn't tough per se, it's something that he knows how to do from practicing it on set. Yeah. And I thought that that was a real nice touch Yeah, in, in, to uh, kind of undermined, undermine Neville's character, which is really important for later in the movie that they build him up and undermine him. Yep, I completely agree. And I didn't notice that until this last viewing. As many times as I've seen this movie, I never really put two and two together. Um and I think you're absolutely right that he's presented as this like totally cocksure, 
totally uh, awesome like actor, uh, uh, great, just unbelievably Casanova-like guy. And it turns out he's not. He's kind of an empty shell of a man. And the only thing that he's got is these roles that he acts in. And this becomes uh, relevant later when he starts pulling all these lines on Jenny, trying to like seduce her. And every single time she's like, oh, that was from your movie, blah, blah, blah. Oh, that was from your other movie, yada, yada, yada. And you realize that he's just like, like I said, this empty shell of a man. It's just hysterical. Um, but yeah, I completely agree with you. The other thing I liked, um, which I think happened right after the, um, the, the woman who got the part that Jenny auditioned for just totally butchers her line. Um, and so they like stop the scene and whatnot at some point around then I might have my timeline wrong. Um, Jenny and one of the other women actresses that she's working with are talking about how ridiculous it is that Jenny didn't get the part. And oh, well, the producer's cousin or whatever it is niece got it yada 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 and it's this like whole meta commentary about hollywood done by hollywood which i just thought was kind of funny i don't know if you picked up on that but yeah it's that's funny uh, i did i did write a note down about how like because cliff basically appears in this movie set and i was like that has he never heard of a closed set and then re- then later on about 10 minutes later everyone's saying to him you never heard of a closed set and I just thought it was quite funny but he shouldn't have been able to get on the closed set anyway well there's that but security wasn't what it was back then I mean hell you could punch a fed if you wanted to good point and then Cliff <laughs> basically knocks down an entire wall and gets Jenny in trouble so Jenny is fired and she runs off and Cliff goes after her not and this it all uh, happens before, uh, basically, Cliff is telling Jenny about the rocket pack. Right, right. And Neville hears this and then tries to chase after Cliff, but is stopped by the fact that every single person in Hollywood gets in his way. <laughs> Like it's, so it's, it's one of those like stupid <laughs> slapstick moments, which is meant to be funny, but ends up just looking dumb. Where like just yeah. people are just walking in front of him and like, oh, you've knocked over a big light. And uh. I agree, I agree. That was a little cheesy, but that's okay. Um, so then uh, Neville tries to go after Jenny and tries to kind of seduce her and say, oh, you know, maybe we could talk about what happened over dinner. Blah blah blah. And um, she forgets about Cliff. In an instant. Oh, yeah. Just immediately. And it's like, yes, I'll go for dinner with you. That sounds lovely. Um, but, but yeah, so that's all right. So the next scene um, is at the air show. Is that right? Yeah. So it's at the air show. Cliff shows up a little bit late, and he sees that his plane that's supposed to be doing the whole clown stunt act is already taxiing to take off. And he runs up to Bigelow and it's like, Bigelow, what gives? Why did you why did you send somebody else in my place? And Bigelow looks at him like, what are you talking about? I thought you were in the plane. Well, come to find out that Malcolm, the uh, older guy, not Peavy, but Malcolm, the older guy that's kind of like a washed up pilot, is the one in the plane. And that's not a good thing because he's a washed up pilot. And so he's getting... And himself- he's doing it to apologize or to make up to cliff for getting him in trouble with jenny right right very good point and so he's malcolm's trying to do the right thing but because he hasn't flown in like 20 years or whatever it just isn't it's not going to be a good idea plus this particular air show they're at includes an air race and so malcolm i guess or really cliff is supposed to be off to the side doing stunts in case the air race is boring or not nearby or whatever meanwhile there's an air race that's somewhere close by and it's very possible that Malcolm will drift into the the racetrack if you if if such a thing is possible in an, in in the air, and could get somebody killed. 
And so Cliff puts two and two together and says, well, I got to fix this. I'm going to get the rocket pack. Yep. And then he chases after him and there's this whole scene where it's like the first time that, that Cliff is using the pack and he saves Malcolm and like drops him onto the ground and then he flies about a little bit more, that kind of thing. Uh, and then the mob have shown up, they see what's going on, they realize that Cliff has the rocket pack and he goes off and they go after Cliff. Uh, Cliff is picked up by PV in a truck and then they see the mob come and then uh, Cliff says to PV, I like it, you steer, I'll push. It's one of my favorite lines in the whole movie. And he sets the rocket pack off and they fly into the right. distance. Right, because PV's driving a pickup truck and so Cliff stands in the bed of the pickup truck, bends over and like like Mike said, says, you steer, I'll push. And next thing you know, this pickup is doing like 130 across the ground um, uh, uh, as they're zooming away from the uh, from the mobsters. And I should point out, I'm glad Joe Steele was in the chat to remind me. Did you recognize Malcolm, the actor who played him? If you didn't, that's fine. I just, I'm curious if you happen to. I know his face. He is the tie between these two episodes of Mike at the Movies. He was one of the supposed... Oh, he's one of the FBI agents mm-hmm. in Sneakers. Mm-hmm. He's one of the FBI agents in Sneakers. I, comp- I did write that down, but I forgot until Joe Steele mentioned that. So thanks, Joe. Um, that's absolutely right. And so I thought that was kind of funny. And I don't know what, el- what other movies this guy has been in, but apparently that's the only- those are the only ones I can choose. <laughs> but anyway, so, so Cliff saves uh, Malcolm and uh, is next thing you know, he's on the front page of like the Los Angeles Times, blah, blah, blah. And so we cut back to Howard Hughes's office. He throws down this copy of the Los Angeles Times talking about a flying man. And then they pan up to this burnt rocket pack. And Howard Hughes says something along the lines of, thanks to the intrepid work of, the, of America's FBI, this vacuum cleaner will never fall into the wrong hands. And that's what you were talking about earlier, that it wasn't until now that we realized what the vacuum cleaner was. So then the FBI agents go to Bigelow's office to question Bigelow about the rocket, and it's trashed. And then one of the agents says, whoever it was, they must have been looking for something. Well, yeah, it's the same thing you're looking for. (laughs) Like, they have already, in this story, apprehended the mob for trying to steal the rocket back. Right. So... Obviously, people there are. They already know there are people out there trying to steal this thing. Why was it a surprise? And then they find that the that that Bigelow has been folded in half. Yep. Yep. By Luthor. Mm-hmm. So they go to uh, to Cliff and Peavy's house because Bigelow had written that down on a pad of paper. And here is another one of those great fades that I was talking about early on. They show the pad of paper with like the indentation of what's been written. And then they cut to Luthor, Lothar, whatever his name is, holding this piece of paper, the actual one that was written on. And I thought that crossfade was really cool. And so Lothar tries to go and get the rocket from PV and Cliff. And um, meanwhile, as that's happening, the FBI shows up and they're trying to get in the house. Well, they don't realize that Lothar, Luthor, whatever his name is, is in there, and he just starts firing at the FBI with these two guns that he has. And so, of course, the FBI now thinks that Cliff and PV are cop killers. And even in the 30s, you couldn't really get away with that. But the FBI do not 
mind about massacring anybody that's in that house. That is correct. Because about 10 FBI agents unload Tommy guns (laughs) into the house. Yep. And naturally, because it's a movie, PV and Cliff were able to avoid, and actually Lothar, were able to avoid every single bullet. Uh, But that's okay. You know, that's, that's the way these things happen. Um, so then we go to the whole restaurant scene. At the South Seas Club. Yep, so at the South Seas Club, and Neville is being a Lothario, and he's sweeping Jenny off her feet. Uh, and then Cliff ends up uh, finding out that they're going to be there because he goes to the diner where he's hiding out with PV, and some mobsters come. Um, and then he ends up overhearing a conversation between one of the mobsters and someone on the phone, finds out that Jenny's going to be there, and he goes there. Um, he is able to break Jenny away from ne- uh, from Neville and explains what's going on. Yeah. Can I interrupt you really quick, though? Yeah. D- when, when they first get, when Jenny and Neville first get to the South Seas Club, and they're introduced to somebody who's supposed to be a famous actor. I forget who it was. I think um, William H. Macy. Maybe it's it, whoever it was. It's like an older guy. Um, no, William H Macy's an, is a is no. A you're right. He's a recent mo- actor. Yes, you're right. Whoever it doesn't really matter who it was, but it was some like famous older guy. I forget who it was. But his name was William something. And so he's introduced to Jenny, and he says, "I'm charmed." And then the camera pans down. Joe Steele is letting us know it's W C Fields. That's right. That's right. Um, and he says, "Yo, I'm charmed." As he's looking at Jenny's face, and then the camera pans down, doubly charmed. This is a Disney movie, for God's sakes. And this sort of, like, overt sexuality... Really didn't like that, yeah. It's weird, man. It's weird at all, but doubly weird <laughs> doubly weird to be in a uh, Disney movie. Um, it's just... It's, that was very peculiar. And again, very uncomfortable thoughts as an 11-year-old. <laughs> like, very uncomfortable thoughts. Um, moving on. So, yeah. So, Jenny and uh, Neville are dancing on the dance... Or, I'm sorry, they did dance, I believe, and then, like you had said, Cliff gets Jenny separated, uh, or Jenny and Cliff are together now. They're hiding in the South Seas Club, and Jenny's very confused as to why Cliff is there. She thinks he's just being jealous, and uh. it turns out it's because Cliff is try- starting to piece together that they're going to go after Jenny to get to Cliff. And so he says something along the lines of, I, you know, I have some interest. I have some really wild news to tell you. I'm the Rocketeer. And she says, the Rocket who? He's <laughs> like, what do you mean you don't know who I am? That's ridiculous. And so it turns out that she just hasn't been paying attention. She says she hasn't read a paper or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so then there's this big fight as the mob arrive and that kind of thing. And... um. Jenny leaves but comes back when she sees the commotion. Um, and then Cliff is able to escape uh, by rocketing through the ceiling. But Jenny doesn't escape. Right. She goes back in. Why does she go back in? That's the dumbest I idea. I don't know why. I thought that was just whatever. Like She's worried about him. She, cause, but she does actually help. But I don't know. I don't know what the deal but is. But I don't know why she went back in. Yeah. And I don't know. But... Um, Again, I'm I'm glad Joe Steele's in the chat to keep us honest. Um, He pointed out, and I wanted to point out, I'd written a note about it. The message in the soup that Cliff leaves is the most obvious thing in the world. Like, how did Neville Sinclair not see that? It is so obvious what he's doing. The message was to Jenny to say, basically, meet me over here in the other corner of the club so I can talk to you. So obvious. Like, it's just... Not even plausible how obvious it was, but that's okay. So eventually Jenny gets captured by Neville. He like drugs her or whatever, you know, knocks her out by way of some sort of chemical. And she wakes up in Neville's house 
and goes exploring for a second, realizes that Neville's coming, and then pretends to be asleep. He wakes her up with, like, smelling salts or whatever. And um, and he, I forget how, but he walks over to this closet and is like, oh, why don't you change out of that dress? Here, I have this plethora of women's clothing that you could change into. Like I wrote this, why does he have these? Why does he have all this clothes? Why, why are they there? Why does so, he have women's clothes? So <laughs> gross. And if you're Jenny... No, no man has... Like, no man in his scenario, which is like a bachelor, has women's clothes. Right. So creepy. Like, negligees. Like, that isn't a thing. Like, why does he have them? It's so weird. That's so weird. It's not even necessarily like, it is gross, but that's not what my problem is. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's, I mean, unless he's just a, you know, he's a total playboy, and I'm not... No, but a total playboy wouldn't have... Anyway, it's ridiculous. You know, he's not going to have more clothes for the lady to put on, is he? That's not the thing. I don't get it. I don't get it either. Um, But whatever. Let me take a quick break. Yes, please. Please. This week's episode is also brought to you by Red Hat. So maybe it's not news that supported open source is now widely accepted at the highest levels of enterprise computing, but the extent of adoption is probably broader than you think, and most of the open source running in elite data centers is Red Hat. And it's more than just Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Red Hat offers storage solutions, cloud computing, and everything you need for application development, all open source and all enterprise grade. The stats are eye-opening. Red Hat runs in every executive department of the U.S. federal government, every airline, telecom giant, and healthcare company in the Fortune Global 500, the New York Stock Exchange, and every commercial bank in the Fortune 500. In fact, more than 90% of all of the companies in the Fortune 500 use Red Hat for everything from the critical to the routine. The only thing that's really surprising is how many people, people who know a lot about technology, don't know this. It's almost as if Red Hat snuck in, got comfortable, and quietly transformed the technology business without making a fuss. Sometimes the most disruptive technology is the stuff that no one notices at first. To find out more about how Red Hat is quietly redefining enterprise technology, visit redhat.com. Red Hat. Build on it. Run with it. Count on it. All right. So so Jenny plays a great part with Neville. Mm-hmm. Like she tries to find a way to let him trust her. Like and you mentioned earlier like she recognizes all the lines that he has her from movies and she says she basically like when goes she goes to try on the clothes that Neville has for her. Um she calls him into the bathroom and he appears like instantly also super creepy, right? Yep. She's like, Neville, could you help me? Doors are open. Like, he was like just waiting outside that door. Yep. Uh and then she like entices him in to come and unzip her and then she smashes him over the head with another vase when she'd done that earlier in the bar to the Luther guy. Like she don't, loves hitting people in the head with vases this one. Uh, and then she says, Great line. I finally played a scene with Neville Sinclair. Yep. Great, great Total line. badass line. Mm-hmm. And then agree. she goes and finds his uh, secret bookcase lair. And then we find out in the big plot twist that Neville Sinclair is a Nazi. Yeah, and I have a quick question, actually. I didn't write this down. I'm trying to follow along as we're talking and watching the movie on, on the computer. She goes pulling at books to see if there's a secret passage. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. Um, She'd seen him do it earlier. Oh, she did? I missed that. Okay. She'd seen him do it. 
Uh, well, I mean, even if she hadn't, I could get behind that because it's kind of like a you know a thing that a lot of people do, I guess, especially in the movies. And I was going to ask you, how did she know which one to pull on? And now I'm watching the movie again, and I remember, again, to kind of hint at how creepy and gross Neville Sinclair is. Do you remember the name of the book? Because I didn't. Something about Lothario's actions or something? The Conquest of Casanova. Like, That's it. totally what Neville Sinclair would think of himself. You know, like, yep. it's it's really fitting and I really subtle, and I really dig it. So anyway, I'm sorry. So we go and we realize, just like you said, that Neville Sinclair is actually a Nazi. Big plot twist. Yep. And then they discover Jenny um, and kind of like, you know, that she is in danger, basically. Uh, and then we go to Howard Hughes's office because Cliff has been apprehended by the FBI and he's being brought to Howard Hughes um, to basically own up to everything that he's done, where PV and Hughes are talking over plans. And like PV's teaching Howard yeah. Hughes <laughs> stuff about science and engineering, which right, is right. hilarious. Yep. And then we find out what the rocket pack is actually for. This is where the movie starts to turn for me. Well, I don't think it's about what the rocket pack was for. It was about what the Germans' intention was for the rocket yeah, pack. Yeah, sorry, I meant Neville's. Okay, okay, thing. yeah, yeah, yep. But also, the rocket pack was created because the, the Nazis were building their own. Yeah, and and so here's the thing that, that just occurred to me this very last time I watched it. This is a Disney film, as far as I'm almost positive that's true. I know I've said it a few times, but I'm it pretty... It's a Disney film. Okay, it's a Disney film. Disney has an animation studio, right? Somebody had to create this animation, uh, this Nazi propaganda animation of these German rocketeers taking over America. Was that Disney Animation Studios? Was that the same people that like later that year or like a, within a year or two of this movie released Beauty and the Beast? They went from writing fake Nazi propaganda to Beauty and the Beast. Like, not that that's bad or wrong, but what? <laughs> it's just so weird. Well, they must have got somebody at Disney to to do that video, right? I mean, it, it's not a. It's not that it's again. It's not that it's bad or wrong or anything like that. It's just it struck me like I can't imagine being a Disney animator going from Nazi propaganda to Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Just so weird. Well, they might have brought in a contractor, but <laughs> in any case, so we we figure out what the Germans' intention are is for the rocket pack. But this is where I feel that the movie starts to take a turn in a way that I don't think that you would have recognized. Okay, my issue uh, here begins with the USA, USA, USA of the Rocketeer. Okay, tell me more. They're showing this video. Of how what will like this this like uh, video of what the Germans have made for what will happen. So this is from the Germans' perspective. What will happen if they get rocket packs? Mm-hmm. Okay. So they show the army basically growing and having their own rocket packs, and they're taking off. Then it zooms out to Europe, and you see a swastika and a bunch of arrows spreading across all of the continent of Europe. Then they show them flying over to the U.S., and we see a couple of minutes of the war that will have to ensue and the fighting that will need to happen and the glory of bringing down the American flag and burning the American eagle and replacing it with the swastika bird. I don't even know what it is. Um, Like, it's hilarious to me how Germany 
created this film where it was like, no big deal to take over Europe and like super easy and we'll just spread out like Europe's done now. But the Americans, this is the fight we've always wanted. Like there was just this idea of it. Like that isn't, that doesn't make any sense. It's like America was, is a great prize, of course, but isn't no more of a prize than all of Europe. That's interesting because if I'm, if I'm, really honest with you not only did i not notice that but it did like it doesn't even strike me as unreasonable like i i know i'm wrong like i'm not if saying you want to take over the world europe is much better to take over than america oh oh because absolutely. what do you get if you take over america you get a lot of natural resources <laughs> you get america and you get south america sure and you get europe you get all of europe you can then go into Africa. You can go into Asia. You, I mean, as well as the fact that you have all of Russia at that point, like the rest of the world. Oh, no, you're right? absolutely right. And you're right in saying I didn't notice it because to me, it's like, oh, it's just, you know, Europe. It's not that big. There's not that much. No big deal. But America, we're big and we're strong. Like I, it did not even compute in my head that that was unreasonable. And I know that you're right and that it is unreasonable, but did not even register to me. Weird. It's, yeah, it's just, it's very crazy to me. So that did, uh, I'm not trying to be funny. Did that kind of ruin the rest of the movie for you, or did that just turn you off for a little bit and then you came back around? It it tainted it, but I was still willing to continue at this point. I was fine. It didn't ruin it. I mean, okay. it didn't ruin it, not by a long shot. But I was like, oh come on, like you know, here we go. Americans got to be Americans. Yes, that's very true. All right, that's so so Cliff runs out of Harold, Howard Hughes's office, grabs the Spruce Goose model. And kind of floats out of the office. What I don't understand is all these FBI agents presumably drove there and none of them go jumping in the car to apprehend Cliff to get him back in the office. He just casually runs away like nothing happened. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. And then and then like uh, the fact that he uses the one of that like a model of the Howard Hughes plane and he's mm-hmm. like, so it will fly. Like, well, and I really? guess. You didn't even attempt to launch that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that the, that the Spruce Goose was like historically not supposed to be able to fly. I don't know if they ever – I'm going to get my details all wrong, and we're going to get so many emails about this. But my understanding is it is a nod to a plane that really did exist or almost existed that nobody thought would ever fly. So it was like a tongue-in-cheek reference to that. Um, but either way, your point is still completely fair, that why would nobody have ever tested this at this point? So then Cliff goes to face off against um, who we now know to be the Nazi Neville and the Mafia guys. And I really love this. Whilst it's obvious, it is funny to me that that when Cliff tells, um, when he tells uh, Eddie Valentine, the Mafia guy, about the fact that Neville is a Nazi, he's like really angry. He's like, the, the Mafia guy really hates Nazis. It's a perfect plan, but it's like it's hilarious. I mean, because of course he would, but it was—it's just really funny because it's like, oh, <laughs> I hate Nazis. <laughs> yeah, and it's—and apparently this was a real thing. Like in that era, the mafia was a humongous problem. However, they wanted nothing to do with the Nazis. Like they would share in the American government's hate of the, of Nazis. Um, I also wanted to point out that this whole exchange, where supposedly Cliff is going to give away the rocket pack and he'll get Jenny back. All of this is happening at Griffith Observatory, which is a real place outside of Los Angeles. And a few years ago, I was doing work outside of of Los Angeles. And 
um, I was having to fly out there, spend the week and fly back. And there was one time that I was supposed to be there for two consecutive weeks. And it's a six hour flight from the, United, from the East coast of the United States, to the West coast. And so it wasn't, it wasn't really feasible for me to fly back, see Aaron and then go back again to be there for Monday. So I flew Aaron or you know, Aaron flew out to meet me. We only had a hand like two or three days together. But one of the things we did, um, because I was so in love, I am so in love with this movie, is we went to Griffith Observatory. And if I remember, I'll send you a link, Mike, to a picture you can put in the show notes of me walking around Griffith Observatory. And the reason we hmm. went in large part was because I wanted to see the place that this movie was filmed. And as it turns out, it was really cool and really interesting. Um, and, I, and I'm really glad we got to see it. And, and as it turns out, which becomes relevant later in the movie you can see the hollywood sign like perfectly from from where the griffith observatory sits and uh and that was really cool and and i'm really glad we got to experience that and that should kind of hint to you how important this movie is to me because when we were only in la for a couple of days like we went to disneyland for one day and i think this might have been the only other thing we did that day was go to griffith the, the next day was go to griffith so in any case, so it's nighttime. They go to Griffith. Uh, it turns out that Neville's a Nazi. He calls all his Nazi buddies that apparently had snuck into America and were chilling in the woods because that's easy to do. Whatever. <laughs> um, they probably snuck in on the huge airship that then appears. Yeah, that appears out of nowhere that nobody knew was coming. Um, yeah, because that dirigible Zeppelin, whatever it's called, it turns out is chilling at Griffith Observatory, and nobody knew it. <laughs> nobody knew. Those things are easy to hide. Um, so then there's a firefight, uh, Cliff kind of escapes. There's some Ajita. Um, they bring Jenny onto the, uh, onto the airship, uh, with Lothar and Neville. Um, and they try to fly away. Cliff, of course, has a rocket. So he, a rocket pack. So he goes and chases after them. Um, I don't know if there's anything particularly monumental about this whole scene that you wanted to cover. To me, it was not that terribly important. So I love that the FBI and the mafia work together against the Nazis. Yes, actually, that's a very good call. Like that awkward look between the <laughs> FBI and uh, and Eddie Valentine, I loved. I, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a very good call. That was hysterical. So the bit that really annoys me, though, is how the Rocketeer runs past an American flag and then stands there. Oh, come on. Why not? But this, this like, is compounded upon the fact that it's like – it, this movie doesn't need to be America is the greatest. Like, it's not necessary for the story. Like, the flag is a pointless cheap pop. But if we don't remind ourselves and we don't remind everyone else in the world, we might forget. I think so. I mean, I, if, <laughs> if I don't, I mean, I guess if they stop showing the Stars and Stripes on TV, it probably won't exist anymore. On the flag, right? <laughs> I don't know. I can know it's a silly thing to get annoyed about, but it's just like, I don't know why they decided to do it. Like, it wasn't, because it isn't until this last part of the movie, this last 15, 20 minutes, that, like, America is really a focus. Yeah, yeah. I understand what you're saying, and you're right. Um, but in any case, so Cliff ends up on the uh, Zeppelin. He fights with Neville. Um, Neville... He says to Neville Sinclair, uh, your stuntman isn't here to save you now or something like that. And Neville looks at him and says, I do my own stunts. And according to IMDb, yep. did you read this? According to IMDb, this was actually a nod to Timothy Dalton as Bond. Because Timothy uh. Dalton always did his own stunts as Bond, apparently. And so that was giving Timothy Dalton kind of a, a way to, to, you know, a little zinger 
to talk about his experiences playing James Bond. So there are a lot of practical effects in in this movie, and especially in this scene when they're flying fighting on the Zeppelin, and they look fantastic. Wherever their special effects really date the movie. Yeah, you know, I don't think the special effects are that bad, with the uh, with the exception of I am really turned off by watching the Rocketeer fly. Yeah, that's what I'm talking okay, about. Okay, okay. I was gonna because it's apparently like it looks a mini- terrible. It's a miniature. It's like uh, claymation or stop motion animation or whatever. To your point, Mike, it does not age well. It's just weird looking. And I'm glad, you know, I, I guess in the grand scheme of things, I can't imagine what they could have done better. But, oh, it just was really cheesy. Yeah, I don't, I don't, there's nothing else they could have done, but it just doesn't look great. Um, I really love that all the Germans speak German to each other. Mm-hmm. Except, wait, do they? Yeah, they do. Oh. Well, cause, they speak uh, in German. Oh, and it's not subtitled, I don't believe. Nope. Yeah, that's kind of neat. Uh, Neville, I love that. Neville goes back and forth. but He goes back and forth, but he is an American. Well, he's actually a British person who is defected to Germany. Mm-hmm. But is, like, So you, know, you can accept that a little bit more. Sure. And actually, I thought, I mean, as someone who doesn't know really anything about this stuff, I thought his German accent was pretty solid. Oh, it sounded good to me. But it's probably in the same way that Marty sounded good. <laughs> uh, when when Dalton first started talking, I did have to just double check that he was attempting, like not attempting to do an American accent, like at the start of the movie. So I was happy about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it ends up that that you know uh, Timothy Dalton has Jenny. He hands Jenny, or he hands he wants Cliff to give the rocket. Cliff puts the rocket on the on the floor of the cab or the cabin of the Zeppelin, and they show him with his thumb move this piece of gum. We we didn't talk about this yet on the episode, but suffice it to say that the rocket pack had a ding in it and it was leaking fuel. And so Peavy took the piece of gum that was just like ornamental that was sitting on the rocket pack, and in an order to make a quick fix, um, the worst kind of fix possible yeah he just took the gum and smashed it over the hole in the rocket pack to plug it so it wouldn't explode well as cliff is putting the rocket pack on the ground to slide over to uh to timothy dalton you see his thumb kind of you know move aside the gum just enough to open that hole back up so he slides the rocket over uh timothy dalton puts it on or, and meanwhile, Jenny tries to save the day by shooting a flare gun inside of an explosive uh, Zeppelin, which, to be honest, I would have done the same thing if I were her. I wouldn't have thought about it. Um, but eventually they show that Neville has the uh, rocket pack on and he looks at Cliff and Jenny and says, um, I'll miss Hollywood. Did you pick up on the double meaning here? Because it turns out he flies out of the out of the zeppelin, which is now on f- about to or is on fire. Oh yeah, and and smashes the land of right, Hollywood. and smashes the land part of what was then the Hollywood Land sign. Which, while a very cheesy joke, I loved it. I thought it was hysterical. So anyway, so the the dirigible yeah. explodes with Lothar on it, um, who is tethered to it because he was trying to make sure he didn't fall off of it when he was fighting cliff on the top of it 
as it turns out, he's now tied to it. Well, he was, of course, he was tied to it. And so he explodes as part of the uh, dirigible exploding. And Howard and PV come flying in on this like quasi helicopter and are able to pick up Cliff and Jenny with a uh, ladder dangling from the helicopter and save the day. Mm-hmm. Not the most. I mean, it was a perfectly fine ending, I suppose. I, I, I feel like the climax wasn't that climactic, but I mean, it was it was sufficient. Yeah, and then also, uh, then we go to the back at the, the diner, and Howard Hughes arrives, and basically as a thank you, gives Cliff a plane. Yep, gives him, I think, basically the same plane as the yellow one in the beginning, although it's not painted yellow anymore. I think it's a bit more advanced, because they seem to be really happy with it. Yeah. Um, and that, that ends the movie, basically. Yeah, basically. I, I thought it was funny, though, that um, that Jenny had smuggled a, a schematic of the rocket pack out of Neville's um, secret Nazi lair. And so she hands it to PV, and... PV goes running up to Cliff and Jenny who are like making out at this point and is trying to talk to them about how, Oh, we could adjust this and modify that. And it's just going on and on and on. And then eventually realizes neither of them is paying attention, looks, thinks for a second and runs over to like Malcolm or somebody else and says, Hey, let me show you this. I I just thought that was hysterical, but that was pretty much the end of the movie. I, upon like when I just watch this movie for me, I love it. I think it's entertaining. I think it's fun. I think it's enjoyable. It's a little silly, but I love it. When I watched it with a more critical eye, thinking about what you would think of it, I was very nervous that you would take too critical of an eye to it and you wouldn't care for it. It sounds like, though, that you did like it, and that makes me super happy. Yeah, the only things that I have a problem with are super nitpicky things that just annoy me as just some of this stuff can annoy me sometimes when things are a little bit too American. Yeah, I can understand um, that. But that's like a whatever type of thing. I did really like this movie. Good. That makes me super happy. Any other closing thoughts? I don't think so. Because I gave my usual closing thoughts at the yep. beginning. All right. Um, I am not guaranteeing that this is going to be the case. But I wanted to ask you, I have a thought for the next Mike at the Movies. And that is, of course, if you don't interrupt with a Casey at the cinema, which is fine. We'll talk about it. But have you seen the, I think it's also 1991, actually. Have you seen the movie Hook? Yes. Okay. Did you like it? I think so. I saw it a long time ago. Okay. Well, then that we're, we're not going to use Hook as the next movie. I'll have to come back and think about it. We did talk about doing True Lies. Might use that one. We'll see. Uh, again, at this point, you definitely, or I owe you a Casey at the cinema. So if we choose to do that, then that's totally fine. We'll figure it out. But as as we sit here now, um, we are not we are not planning on another Mike at the Movies nor Casey at the Cinema anytime soon, but we'll see what happens. And you you guys will be the first to know if we chose to do it. Um, oh, I did have one other parting thought, actually, and I put this in the notes and almost forgot about it. Um, the user TM Trains on Twitter uh, wrote a very interesting tweet to me after I had posted that I was watching The Rocketeer. He said, the following is a great chaser after the homework. And he linked to this video um, of what appears to be a video of a podcast with Adam Savage of Mythbusters. And he talks about, uh, Adam Savage talks about how he was gifted something from a fan. And, um, and, and so the fan says to him, I'm giving this to you. I'm curious to see how long it takes you to figure out what this is. 
And so Adam's describing this, and he says he opens up the, like the box. The, the way he's describing it, it sounds like a jewelry box. He opens up the box, pushes aside like the little you know peanuts, packing peanuts, or whatever that's in it, and says he got the box. You know, as soon as he saw it, knew exactly what it was. It was the bottom um, clasp of the rocket pack. And I'm thinking to myself, what? So as it turns out, apparently it's a, it's a really big thing to collect movie memorabilia and paraphernalia, like things that were used on movies or even replicas of things used on movies. Well, apparently there's a very robust and vibrant community around the Rocketeer, building their own jetpacks, building their own helmets, etc. As it turns out, apparently one of the hardest to find props in all of like movie making is a, even a replica of this very esoteric clasp that was used to, to, uh, on the harness for the rocket pack. And so Adam Savage apparently had been looking for this for years, and the best he could do was come up with like really expensive $900 replicas. And it's really an interesting thing to watch. And so we'll put it in the show notes, and if you have like five minutes, it's, it, I found it totally fascinating to watch this. So thank you to TM Trains for sending this my way. I had no idea this was a thing. Um, and it's really worth just a couple minutes of your time to check it out. And that includes you, Mike. It was very, very interesting. But other than that, no other parting thoughts. I'm including two other videos of about five to seven minutes in length where Adam Savage shows off his build of his own Rocketeer jetpack. Oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, and then him at Comic-Con in 2012 where he cosplayed as the Rocketeer. I didn't know that either. Oh, now now I have homework to do as well. So, because the, re- the reason I say this is because you, you think it's, like, interesting that people collect this stuff. This is a whole big thing for Adam Savage. So, you need to watch the uh, Inside Adam's Man Cave mm-hmm. video series that Tested.com does, where they go to his workshop and just show the incredible things that he builds, and most of them are movie, parts, uh, movie props and stuff like that. So That's fascinating. They are incredible. That's so awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Mike, for going along on this adventure, adventure with me. I'm very, very glad that um, this one ended a little better for you than it did in the last one did. Um, and like I said, we'll see what we do for the next one. If you want to find us online, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Our show notes are at relay.fm slash analog slash 51. Uh, I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter. Casey is at C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S on Twitter. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Casey Liss. I'll see you later, Mike.